Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. Well, if you're new, my name is Joey McLaughlin. So pumped that you're here today. We are in a collection of talks titled Come and See. Let me hear you say come and see. And uh, in honor of uh, Jackson today, I wanna take the next four and a half hours um, (laughs) trying to get you to understand this concept. Um, We kicked out this collection uh, last week with this idea that we want to recapture the catchphrase of Christianity. The global movement of Jesus did not spread on the backs of great marketing or brilliant leadership. It spread on the backs of everyday, ordinary people who invited others to come and see, amen? Who said, come and see what Jesus has done in my life. Come and see the way that he changes stories. Come and see the way he sets people free. Just come and see. And so in this uh, Easter season, the whole heartbeat behind this message is just for it to be like a gentle nudge, just a nice encouragement, just a friendly reminder for you and I to be more of a brand ambassador for Jesus than we are for our version of the CrossFit cult that we participate in, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Don't act like you don't, don't act like you don't. You know that if somebody is a CrossFit fan, they gonna let you know. Like, you don't got to ask them if they do CrossFit. They're going to tell you that they do CrossFit. They're going to post about it, post their before and after pictures. Their life revolves around it. They low-key judge you if you don't participate in it. Like, you're going to know if they do CrossFit. And I want for you to know today, I'm not hating on CrossFit, okay? I'm not hating on CrossFit or Orange Theory or Burn Booty Boot Camp, okay? I'm not, I'm not hating. You get your beach body girlfriend, Okay? I'm not hating, I am a jealous. I'm jealous, like if I'm honest, I'm, I'm jealous because I, if I'm just being honest, I think, I happen to believe that Jesus is worthy of more word of mouth marketing. He's worthy of more boldness. He's worthy of more audacity than whatever gym you go to or your favorite new place that sells tacos. And I love guacamole, especially tableside, okay? But I think that Jesus is worth more word of mouth marketing. I think he is worthy of more wildly raving fans. And if you're here today, there's a better than not chance that you believe that too. So my question is, why don't we? Why don't we? If we have the most important message on the planet, if we have been equipped with the life-saving message that can bring salvation to the ends of the earth, if Jesus is the only name in which salvation is found, if we have found not just the cure for cancer, but literally eternal life, why do we keep it to ourselves? Why don't we invite others to come and see? What I wanna do this morning is I wanna take you on a wild journey and look at the longest conversation that Jesus has throughout the entire Bible to illustrate for you three things. In this story, I think we're gonna see three things. Number one, why we don't. Number two, why Jesus does. And number three, what would happen if we did. Why we don't, why Jesus does, 
And what would happen if we did invite people boldly to just come and see? And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Let's look at maybe why we don't. This is what the text says. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So Jesus is in a city called Jerusalem, in a county called Judea, and he's headed towards Galilee. Now, verse four is very interesting. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria, but he didn't. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. To get to, Samar to, get to a Galilee uh, by way of Samaria, it would be a walk of some 70 miles. It would take you a two and a half days journey. And it was without a doubt the most direct route to walk straight through Samaria. Problem, Jews avoid Samaria. Jews hate Samaritans. And so they grew up in a culture that conditioned them and taught them to avoid Samaria at all costs. They wouldn't walk through Samaria because Jews and Samaritans disagreed theologically. They disagreed politically. They disagreed socially. They disagreed about where worship was supposed to happen and what worship was supposed to look like and what songs you could sing and what songs you couldn't sing and what was in the Bible and what wasn't in the Bible. They disagreed. And so what Jews were taught to do was to avoid Samaria. And Jesus knew this. Jesus was well acquainted with Jewish culture and custom. And so he knew that he didn't have to go through Samaria. What most Jews would do is they would take the much longer way around Samaria. They would go the long way. They would avoid it. They would walk down by the Jordan River. They would go through Jericho, a more desert desert-filled, treacherous journey, almost twice the amount of time, some 120 miles they would go just to avoid Samaria. And so Jesus knows that there's another route. Jesus knows that there's another way. And so Jesus doesn't have to go through Samaria. Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. He wanted to take these 12 Jewish boys off of the itinerant-based mission trip that they had been on, rip up their tie-dye t-shirts, and show them a new way to do life. He wanted to say, there's another way to go. There's another path to walk. There's something else I want to show you. Geographically, Jesus doesn't have to go through Samaria. Missionally, Jesus has to go through Samaria. And so what Jesus does is he walks these 12 Jewish boys right through something that they had been conditioned to avoid their entire life. Watch what happens when they get there. Verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So 12 Jewish teenagers follow Rabbi Jesus down a road that they've been taught to avoid their entire life. They're headed towards the last place that they want to go on planet earth. And you you can almost imagine what that journey must have been like. Like the Bible doesn't really describe it, so it's almost as if they just walked this whole journey in silence. 
Like, can you imagine like the background conversations as like one of the disciples says to the other, like, does, does Jesus, does he, does he know where he's going? Like, Peter, is, is Jesus lost? Bartholomew, did he miss a sign or a dove or a rainbow? Like, what is happening? Where are we going? This is the wrong way, Jesus. Why are we going this way? And then Jesus gets tired, which I just love the humanity of Jesus, that he gets tired and that he sits down at a well. And he's right outside of town, the town of Syker is about a mile and a half outside of the town of Samaria. And there's this well, this very significant historical well, a well that has been fought over, wars have been fought over this well. And uh, Jesus comes and he sits down at this well and he goes, yo guys, I'm tired, so... How about you guys just take the rest of the trip by yourself? Y'all head in town to get some lunch. We're all Christians here, so preferably Chick-fil-A. Um, go grab me a spicy chicken deluxe sandwich with extra Chick-fil-A sauce on the side. Amen, hallelujah. And, and he sends them into town. Don't you know Chick-fil-A jokes hit different on Sunday when they close? Because <laughs> you're like, oh, that sounds pretty good right now. But you can't get it. And so this is what Jesus does, is he sends these 12 Jewish boys into a town that they've been taught to avoid their entire life to get some lunch. And you just gotta wonder like how, how that errand went. Like what that errand must have been like for these boys as they walk up and down this town and they're awkward and they're uncomfortable and they're kind of all huddled together and they go, yo, can we get some food? No, you can't get any food here. This town is full of tension. It is isolation. There's division. Hey, are you guys open? No, no, we're not open. Hey, can we eat here? No, 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 you can't eat here. Think about how humiliating this must have been for the disciples. Think about how awkward and uncomfortable it would have been for them to have to go into this town that they've been conditioned to avoid and get rejected and hear no and see the glances and the under the breath comments. Like, think about this. And here's what's crazy is Jesus wanted them to experience this. Well, how rude of Jesus. What are you thinking, Jesus? Like, I can almost imagine Peter because he's like the vocal one, you know? Peter's the one who's always saying what everybody else is thinking. And so I've just got to imagine that Peter's like, Jesus, I don't like this. I don't want to be here, Jesus. This isn't fun. These aren't nice people. These are mean people. I want to be where the people are. I want to be where they're singing in Jews, right? Like, he's like, get me out of here. What are we doing here, Jesus? And what they're doing is Jesus is leading them through the very thing that they've been taught to avoid. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you wanna follow Jesus, you've gotta know that journey is gonna take you right through the very thing you've been conditioned to avoid. Do you know why we don't do it? Why we don't invite people to come and see? Because we've been conditioned to avoid it. We've been taught and told by society, don't walk through Samaria. Don't step on anybody else's truth. Keep it to yourself, to each his own. Be tolerant, AKA silent. Don't say anything. That's the message that we get in culture. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up and I was told that you don't talk about two things, right? There's two things you're not supposed to talk about. You're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. So can somebody tell me why in this day and age we break the first rule but are still keeping the second? Because people don't mind telling you their political persuasions in 2022. They will be loud and proud. They will fly their flags. 
They will chant their chants. They will tell you exactly who they voted for. It used to be like a big secret, like, no, I can't tell you who I vote for. Now it's like, oh, who'd you vote for? It's crazy. We're so demonstrative about it, and yet we're still acting like it's not politically correct to talk about the king of kings. We have been conditioned to avoid it. We have allowed society to inform what we think is right and what we think is wrong. And so then here's what begins to happen is we begin to believe these false narratives of fear of what's going to happen if we do it. You see, for the Jewish people, for the, for the disciples, they were afraid that if they interacted with Samaritans, this was, the, this was the Jewish thought, that just by interacting with a Samaritan, that it would make them religiously or ceremonially unclean, that they would be unclean before God. And so there was this fear that if I walked through Samaria, that, I, that things were gonna get messy, that I was gonna be unclean before God. And likewise, I think that there's this fear within us that if we share our faith, if we invite other people to come and see that it's gonna mess some relationships up, Now, things are just going to get messy, that it's going to be awkward, that it's going to be uncomfortable, that there's going to be this distance, there's going to be this fracture in relationship, and we begin to believe these false narratives of fear. And I'm just here today asking you to maybe be a little bit more scared about what happens if you don't than what happens if you do. What happens if you don't invite people to come and see Acts 17 says that God has determined the exact boundaries of your habitation that you live where you live you have what you have you work where you work you've got the friends that you've got God put you there on purpose so that people who are far from God might feel their way towards him for he is not far from any of us for in him we live and move and have our very being You have been placed where you are so that people can meet God. And what happens if you don't tell them? You may be the only Jesus that somebody ever sees. The only one. You know, people ask me all the time as a pastor. They say things like, hey, Joey, I'm just, I'm curious. Like, what What happens to people who die and they never hear the gospel? What happens to people who die and never hear the gospel? Will God send them to hell? And do you know what I'm curious about? I'm curious about what happens to Christians who have the gospel, don't tell anybody about it. When they get to heaven, what excuse will they give? What excuse will we give? Now, I'm not telling you that culture and that fear and that worry and that trepidation aren't real. I'm not. I'm not devalidating any of those things. I'm actually here to validate that this morning, that yes, culture could push against it. And yes, we've been conditioned to not do it. And yes, there could be this worry or anxiety that rises up within us when when we go to try. But we can't let fear win. We can't give in to the to the stagnation that society tries to push us into. We can't keep walking the same paths. If you wanna follow Jesus, you've gotta get off the path of passivity and you've gotta get on the road of activity. You've got to start being bold with your faith. You've gotta say, I've got a new way to walk. I've got new patterns. He's rerouted my life. I've got a new purpose and I can't keep this to myself. I'm no longer avoiding Samaria because there are people in Samaria who need what I have. There are people who need it. You know, um, I was talking to a friend uh, last week, and he was sharing with me this story about being on a missions trip, and 
they were out there on a missions trip where they were doing like, um, like street evangelism, okay? And where like you just walk up to like a rando stranger and you're like, if you were to die tonight, sir, do you think that you'd go to heaven? Which is wildly terrifying by the way, right? It's like, uh, do you know something? I don't know. <laughs> something about to go down out here on these streets, okay? It's a wildly terrifying way to do it. And so it's much more scary and intense than, um, excuse me, I've got this invite card. Would you like to come to my Easter service? We've got a nice Easter egg hunt afterwards and our songs are really great, you know? Not quite as terrifying as walking up to a random stranger and asking him if you were to die tonight. And so he tells this story about talking to his mission trip leader and he's there in a group and the mission trip leader just seems so bold and audacious and fearless. And um, he, he goes, the mission trip leader says, you, you know, I used to be really afraid of sharing the gospel, but then I figured out when you stop being afraid. Do you, do you wanna know? Do you wanna know when you stop being afraid? Never, never. What I learned is that God loves to use people who are afraid. That God will still use fearful people. Faith isn't the absence of fear. It's stepping forward in the midst of fear. It's saying, I'm not as afraid of what stands in front of me as I am compelled by the person who stands behind me and who sends me out to proclaim his good news. We can't let fear win. We can't do it. We cannot allow what happens or what could happen to be bigger than what God wants to do in somebody's life. Samaria can't be off limits. We've got to stop believing the lie that it's going to mess things up. We've got to stop giving into the narrative of fear. Do you know statistically why people come to church? Do you know statistically why people who aren't going to church decide to come to a church? Let me, let me just tell you, I found these statistics this week. 2% said they saw a sign. I saw the church sign, right? They're just Driving by, they saw it and they're like, all right, I guess I'm gonna go in. 2%, 2% saw a sign. 3% said that they were just looking for a church, looking for a church, just looking for a church and they just fumbled into this one because they were looking. 5% said they came for small groups. They were looking for community. They were looking for friendships. 5% said they come for small groups. 6% said they came because of the preacher, which I think is really low if I can just be... Honest, really low, right? But 6% said they came because of the preacher. 79%, 79%, 79%. Now I'm not great in math, but it feels like that's a lot. 79% said they came because they were invited by a friend. So I don't know that this idea of being afraid of what could happen or might happen or might go wrong is even real in the first place. I think that there are actually people in your neighborhood and people at your workplace and people at your family who are desperate and who are lonely and who are searching and who are an invitation away from them experiencing exactly what they're searching for. So let's talk today. Now that we know why maybe we don't do it, let's talk about why Jesus does. Let's talk about why Jesus does, because all throughout the pages of scripture, he's just got this massive invitation. Just come, come and see, 
Come and see, come you who have no money, buy and eat. Why spend your portion on what is not bread and your portion on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight with the richest affair. Come you whose sins, come and let us reason together. You whose sins are scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. Come, come eat at the great banquet table. You don't wanna come go out to the highways and the byways and plead with people to come and to sit at my table. All throughout his ministry, he's inviting people to come. So why does Jesus do it? Let me show you. John chapter four, verse seven. A woman from Samaria. It's always about people. That's why Jesus does it. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and it has now come when we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus begins to talk with this woman who is, how shall we say, a desperate housewife. Okay, she is a woman who the text says has had five husbands and the man that she's currently living with is a living boyfriend. And this is what we don't know. We don't know why she's had five husbands. It's possible that she is a widow. It's possible that those husbands have passed away, that maybe they went off to war, maybe they died. That's possible. However, it is more likely that she is divorced. It's more likely that she is divorced. And in this day and age, a woman was not legally permitted to file for divorce. A woman couldn't ask for a divorce. It had to be a man who legally severed those ties. And so five times, 
Think, think about this woman. Think about what this woman is carrying in her soul. Five times she heard you're not wanted. Five times she heard you're rejected. Five times she heard, I don't want to live with you or see you or even be around you. Think about what this woman is carrying in her soul. Think about the loneliness that she is going through. Think about the agony. Think about the pain that she is walking in. She is in such pain that she's consigned herself to saying yes to living with a man who is not her husband, which in our culture, I get it, doesn't feel like a big deal. But in this culture of the town of Samaria, for a person like this to live in a small conservative religious community and to live with somebody who's not your husband would be the scandal of scandals. She would be branded with a scarlet hey, She would walk through town and everybody would see her and know her. She would be the talk of the town. And, and, and we know this. We know this because of the time of day that she's at this well to get water. The Bible says that she's there at the sixth hour. She's there at the sixth hour, which would be the middle of the day. You see, all reputable women in the, in, in the community, they would come to the well in the cool of the morning because it's hot in the Middle East in the middle of the day. I mean, we're from high Atlanta here, right? How many of y'all mow your grass in the middle of the day? No one, right? Because if you mow your grass in the middle of the day, people are gonna come and see a man who passed out in the heat of Georgia, right? So nobody does that. You mow your grass in the morning or you mow your grass in the evening. And likewise, all reputable women, they would go to the well in the morning, but not this woman, nah. uh She's at the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be seen by all of the other reputable women in the community. And so she's there, and you've almost got to imagine that as she sees Jesus' silhouette coming over the horizon, she thinks to herself, what is he even doing here? I thought I was going to be able to hide. I thought I was going to be able to avoid. I thought that I wasn't going to have to deal with the gossip and the chatter. I thought I wasn't going to have to feel the shame and the condemnation. I thought that I wasn't going to have to feel dirty and unclean on the inside. I thought that I wasn't going to have to face another one of those glances or hear another one of those jokes. I thought that I wasn't going to have to deal with that today. But there Jesus is at a well in the middle of the day. And I find their conversation so interesting. Jesus and this woman, this scandalous, promiscuous, left woman, her and Jesus begin to talk about water. How interesting that this woman who wants so badly to be made clean, wants so badly to have a fresh start, wants so badly to feel like she's worthy of love, wants so badly to be seen, to be beautiful, just wants somebody to care for her, wants a fresh start. Jesus talks to her about water, living water that can satisfy her soul. And you know what she does? She does exactly what you and I do. She changes the subject. Every time Jesus gets personal, what do we do? We change the subject. She starts to talk to him about like this weird theological issue. She's like, well, okay, all right, living water. Now, uh, this mountain or that mountain? Do we worship here or there? Like it's from the Jews or it's from the Samaritans? Like what? And, and isn't that what happens sometimes? Like some of you guys right now, you're probably feeling it in your soul. God is knocking on the door of your heart and you're like, I feel like that Samaritan woman. I feel like, man, I've lived a life and I've been hung up dry and forgotten about it. Like nobody's interested in me. I feel isolated and rejected. And I've got some skeletons in my closet and I got some pain and God's knocking on your heart and then all of a sudden you go well what do you guys believe about this weird ambiguous theological issue that I don't really care about 
isn't that what church people do? It's like, oh, wow, there's God coming to knock on the door of my heart, trying to come and do a new thing in my life, trying to start afresh in my soul. And then I play mental gymnastics and divert the conversation. And that's what she does. But what I love that Jesus does is he sees straight through it and he just keeps on going. He keeps on on going and then she goes okay listen i know in the end at the end of life the messiah will come and he'll work this whole thing out at the end we'll have all the answers and jesus looks at this woman this samaritan woman in the middle of the day at a well and he says i who speak to you am he and the only time in the book of john that jesus reveals that he is the messiah is in the middle of the day to a samaritan woman at a well why does Jesus invite people come to see? Because life leaves us thirsty and he's the only one who can satisfy. Life leaves us thirsty and he is the only one who can satisfy. Have you forgotten that there's a thirsty world out there? Have you forgotten what it's like to know that you've got eternal security? Have you forgotten the gift of your salvation, the gift of grace to know that you can walk through the doors with confidence because your sins have been nailed to Calvary? Have you forgotten what it's like to know that you're part of a family, that yeah, your mother and your father may forsake you, but the Lord will take you up. That you've got brothers and sisters who are right here who will fight with you arm in arm when a husband leaves you or a friend rejects you. You've got a family who stands beside you. And have you forgotten that there's a world who don't taste that? Have you forgotten that like you've uncovered the truth about life, that there is nothing in this world that satisfies like Jesus, that sex can't do it, that money can't do it, that achievement can't do it, that another vacation can't do it, that you can travel the world and you can acquire for yourself all of these things. But in the end, Jesus is the treasure your heart is searching for. Have you forgotten that there are people out there who still don't know that? Man, life leaves us so thirsty and Jesus is the only one who satisfies. And so he bids, he offers for people to come and see. Do you know today that behind the five marriages that your friend has gone through and behind their six-figure salary and behind their, you know, all their pursuits in life, what they're ultimately looking for is an encounter with Jesus. That's what they're looking for. And we know him, we know him and we get to offer them the invitation to come and see. They don't know what they're looking for. But we know they're looking for Jesus. You see this woman, she was just looking for some well water, not realizing that Jesus was offering her living water. This woman just wanted to make it through another day, not realizing that Jesus was offering her eternal life. This woman thought that she was just looking for a man to love her, not realizing that she had burned through five men, was on her sixth man, and then there in front of her stood the seventh man, which in Hebrew, seven is the number of wholeness, completion, or perfection. And there's Jesus, the seventh man, standing right in front of her, offering her the love that no one else can, saying, I will complete in you what everybody else left out of you. And I'm here offering you living water. This woman had lived life on repeat. She had consigned herself to living in isolation. She was controlled by shame, but she had one conversation that changed the course of her life. That's why Jesus does it, because one conversation can change all of eternity. Because grace can reach 
anyone, the biggest skeptic, the biggest doubter, the most broken person, the most staunchly convinced atheist, the person who wants to argue, the person who's just trying to avoid, the person who's not interested could have an interaction with Jesus that could change the course of their eternity. That's why Jesus does it. Now let's talk about what might happen if we did. Watch what happens next. This is great drama. Just then, just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Just then, right as this woman learns that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the living water that she's been searching for her entire life. She is amazed by Jesus, in love with Jesus, but looks up and sees the faces of the disciples. And they don't even say anything, but their faces give them away. Their faces say that we're religious and we're pretentious and Jesus isn't supposed to be associating with low Samaritan women like you. In love with Jesus, turned off by church people, fascinated by Jesus, looks up, sees the faces of 12 racists and so she leaves her water pot and runs away leaves her water pot and runs away, which I find so staggering, so amazing that this woman would leave her one possession. She is in such a hurry. She is so in love with Jesus, so captivated by Jesus that she doesn't care about anything else. She doesn't care about what these religious people think about her. She doesn't care what any people think about her because she knows what Jesus thinks about her. And so, so enamored by Jesus, so compelled by the love of Jesus, so captivated by the person of Jesus that she forgets her one possession. You know, I think that we need to be a church who start to forget some water pots today. Some people who have this kind of like heart of urgency rise up within us who go like my ultimate priority is I'm so captured by the things of heaven that I forget for two seconds the things of earth. That I'm so urgent, I'm so reckless with my life that I would leave things behind and forget about what I might lose because I know who I've got to take this message to. I love that she forgets her water pot. Can we be a church? Can we be a people who start to forget the water pot? Start to forget our reputation. Start to forget what people think. Start to forget material things and say, I just want more people to get this message. She forgets her water pot. We, uh, we all have these notions, these ideas about like who is and who isn't an evangelist. Like who should and who shouldn't invite people to come and see? Like we think it's the outgoing people or we think that it's the bold people or we think it's the very loud people who are like up there on stages, right? But the woman at the well shows us that it's the willing people. It's the changed people. It's the people who've encountered Jesus who are called to be evangelists. The natural response of this woman is to take this encounter and to believe that it could happen for somebody else. And so she goes and she invites people to come and see. And I'm just struck by how little this woman knows. Do you notice how little she knows? Like all she says is, come and see a man who knows me, who told me everything that I'd ever done. And I think that he's like, maybe like the Messiah. Like that's it, it's not... She didn't go to seminary. She didn't go to Bible college. This isn't like the Apostles' Creed that she's quoting. This isn't the four spiritual laws. 
This isn't some like sermon tract. It's just like, listen, come check it out. Come and see a man who told me everything that I'd ever done. And you guys know everything that I've ever done. And guess what? He loves me anyway. Come and see a place where love is found, where forgiveness is found, where grace is found, where mercy is found, where a new start and a new beginning is found. Could this be the Christ? She doesn't exaggerate it. She doesn't make it complex. She doesn't make any threats or promises. She doesn't talk about their sin or debate theology. She just says, come, come check it out. Could this be the Christ? Could this be what you're looking for? Could it be that there's more to life than sex and money and fortune and fame? Could it be that there is a well that satisfies the deep desires of your soul? Could it be that this is the Christ. And I just want you to remember today that there is a whole world out there that is sitting at wells wondering if anybody loves them and if anybody can satisfy them. And we know who can. We know who can. How can we taste of this living water and not take it to a world that is thirsting for something real? We get to invite thirsty people to come and meet the one who can quench their thirst. What would happen if we did? John 4, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. I love this part. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. The only thing that is missing for the gospel to reach our nations and our community is willing people who are willing to share it. That's it. The church has no limit to how far this thing could go if we would be willing to share. That's what would happen is there would be no limit to how many people could get reached. There would be no limit to the domino effect that could occur. Let me prove it to you. This is a church history and not necessarily supported by scripture, but I find it very interesting. In Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Samaritan woman at the well is said to be Saint Fotini. And Fotini is recognized as an evangelist whose missionary journey took her far beyond the town of Samaria. This woman at the well, tradition says, went on a missionary journey to Africa, to Egypt, and then finally to Rome to appear before the emperor Nero himself. In Rome, she testified fearlessly of Jesus to Nero. She led Nero's daughter Domina to the Lord, as well as her attendants, about a hundred of them. Needless to say, this enraged Nero who determined to kill her. He immediately ordered her and her companions to be thrown into a furnace for seven days and the fire was kept burning. But at the end of that time, the furnace door was opened and Fotini and her companions all emerged unburned and unscathed. Sound familiar? During her time in Rome, Fotini and her companions were beaten for hours at a time, thrown in jail and offered riches to deny Christ. Then records begin to vary, but most historical accounts end with Fotini being martyred by being thrown into a dry well. 
The sweet irony of this story is, of course, that having found a living water in Jesus beside the well in Sychar decades earlier, her death was no miserable ending, but rather a glorious beginning of her eternal life in Jesus. What a story. That this interaction with this woman, and this woman's interaction with Jesus at a well caused her to go back to her town, yes, but it changed the course of her life. She went all over the world. And I know you're thinking, well, Joey, that's all fine and great, but that was a long time ago. Stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. Or maybe it does. In July of 1885, Edward Kimball couldn't get his local shoe salesman out of his mind. Kimball resisted at first and he made up excuses and he talked himself out of it until eventually he worked up the courage to have the conversation. And as Kimball entered the store, he found the salesman in the back room sorting shoes and he struck up a conversation and began to share with this guy the impact that Jesus made on his life. And he just invited him to come and see. As a result, the young shoe salesman prayed and began to follow Jesus that day. That shoe salesman's name is Dwight L. Moody, who would go on to become the greatest evangelist of his generation. The Bible college that I attended bears his name, Moody Bible Institute. If the story stopped there, it'd be pretty incredible. But Moody takes the gospel further. He realizes that the gospel was going somewhere when it got to him and it needed to go somewhere next. So Moody spreads the gospel to Frederick B. Meyer who spreads the gospel to a student named Wilbur Chapman, who spreads the gospel to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Then Billy Sunday spreads the gospel to a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham preached in an event in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934, where a guy by the name of Billy Graham began to follow Jesus. Billy Graham has spread the gospel message to more than 215 million people in over 185 countries around the world, but it all started with a guy who you've never heard of named Edward Kimball who invited somebody to come and see. What would happen in our life? What would happen in our generation? What would happen in this church if some people decided and determined that what was keeping me from doing it wasn't a good excuse and that what Jesus could do in the life of somebody was miraculous. And so I'm going to do it. I think the results would be endless. And this is what I know is that there's somebody's name who's burning on your heart right now. And that's not an accident. I don't know him. I didn't name him. The Holy Spirit put him there. It's not an accident. It's because God has placed you in their life and them in yours so that they might feel their way towards God. What are you gonna do about it this week? Who do you need to invite? We are at a critical juncture in Christian history. Are we going to let the tides of culture and the voice of the media and the narratives of society push us down and keep us quiet? Or will we stand? Will we lift our voice? Will we invite others to come and see? I know that there's a better than not chance that there's somebody in here today who feels like they're that woman at the well. And you were maybe invited by somebody today. And you've been searching and you've been wondering what this life is all about. And I want for you to know today, you're here to learn that it's about Jesus. 
And I just wanna tell you the gospel. It's the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And it's the, it's the truth, it's the reality that there's a God in heaven, that you're not here on accident, that all of this is a part of his plan and that he spoke the earth into creation and that he's good and wants good for you. And that he wants to be in relationship with you and lead you and cause you to experience the fullness of life. But there's this problem and it's called sin, and you've done it, and I've done it. All of us are guilty of it. We've all gone our own way. We've all done life in our own strength. We've all believed that we know what's best. Today you're at a well, and you feel thirsty because of that sin. But there's a man whose name is Jesus who didn't just come to a well, but went to a cross where he died. He was executed. His life was ended so that yours could begin. And on the cross, this is a theological concept. All of your guilt, all of your error, all of your wrongdoing, it was thrown on him. He paid for what you could never pay for. And the Easter story begins three days later after he was put into a tomb. He gloriously, victoriously rose from the dead. It is a literal historical fact. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw him walking around, meaning that all of his claims about life and eternity can be trusted because he beat death. He got up out of the grave. And so he's the one that we follow. And he's here today going, there's a response. Will you surrender your life? Will you place your life in my hands? Because if you will, there is living water that will quench your soul. That loneliness can be erased. That shame can be dealt with. A new beginning is possible. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, if you know you've been fumbling through life, searching for something real and searching for what this life is about, and today you think that it might be Jesus, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him. And you just pray this in the quietness of your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need your living water. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. I wanna surrender my life to you today. Scripture tells us that if you pray that prayer that Jesus' blood washes you clean and you have a new beginning and a new start and your new creation, the old has passed away and the new has become. And we just wanna mark that moment and celebrate with you. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, on the count of three, I just wanna invite you to raise your hand as a sign of, I said yes to Jesus today. I came to the well and I found what I was searching for and I wanna place my life in his hands. If that was you, raise your hand on the count of three and we're gonna celebrate with you. One, two, Three. Yeah, amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you that you are still bringing women who come to wells back home to the heart of God. Thank you that you are intersecting paths and trajectories and showing people that you make all things new, that you wash us white as snow, and that you quench the deep longings of our soul. Jesus, thank you that you are God who gets it. You're God who understands. You're God who didn't leave us in our sin, but who came to set us free from it. We praise you. Let us be people who invite others to just come and see. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.